I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely void without you. This week, we're looking at Series 1, Episode 5, and I'm joined by my very special shipmate, the actor and writer, Jonathan Dryden-Taylor. Or is it John? Should we say John? Oh, should we go for John? Yes, John. hello. John Dryden-Taylor, welcome aboard my podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice to be aboard. <laughs> Please hold on to the handrail. <laughs> so, had you seen this show at all before? I was thinking back, and I really, really don't think I ever watched it. I was aware oh. of it. I remember the theme tune. I remember shots of the sea. But it was Lots 1985, isn't yeah. it, we're talking? So it I'd, is. I'd be watching football and comedy, mainly. So, okay, but nothing soapy then. Was it? Were you too good for this sort of thing? Is that what you're basically no, saying? No, not at all. I, in fact, I remember EastEnders launching in 1985. I did, yeah. And um, in fact, me and a bunch of kids from youth theatre were uh, walk-ons in a, a TV play that shot at Elstree oh. in 1985. So, uh, I mean, imagine this being allowed now. But at lunchtime, we sort of used to run onto the lot and sort of wander around the square. Oh, cool. Um, so, no, that was very exciting. And indeed, we found out through backstage monitors who the father of Michelle's baby was. It was Den, everyone! That's a 32-year-old spoiler. Did you really? But you knew before everybody else. We knew before everyone else. And we didn't tell anyone. You should have gone to the papers. You made a fortune. (laughs) But no, no time for Howard's Way. Okay. Tell me what your first impressions were when you... I want to say went back to it when you saw it for the first time. Did you know what was going on and did you like it? Well, even before I started watching the episode, there were a couple of things that really struck me. Number one is that YouTube comments never fail to disappoint. <laughs> so there's, um, there are two comments under this particular episode. Okay. There's one which is somebody asking where it's filmed and a factual answer. Yeah. And there's another comment where somebody has just said, Ken Masters! <laughs> Sort of somebody who goes around compulsively naming things they can see. <laughs> he doesn't need anything other than just the, those two words. That's everything you need to know about the and guy. Boy, I mean, I've got a lot to say about Ken Masters. Good. So, um, well, I googled him the other day, not, not for any nefarious purposes. <laughs> I was just Google image searching, as, as you do. And this Japanese anime character came up. Called there, Ken Masters. There's like a superhero with sort of He-Man hair and big muscles called Ken Masters. I like to think that the YouTube commenter is a kind of Ed Balls thing. And this is <laughs> this is actual Ken Masters trying to search himself and getting <laughs> it slightly wrong. Oh, I do hope so. What a lovely idea. 
And then the titles, that's the other yeah, thing that struck on, me no, before no, the episode me, what, started. Because Tell me you love the music, because I love the music. Obviously we love the music. Okay. But the titles are of a kind that just aren't made. It's just lots of stock shots of boats. Um, people on boats, people talking about boats, people walking past boats. One thing I've noticed about watching Howard's Way is the word boat becomes hilarious very quickly. <laughs> because very few, I was going to say very few scenes, very few speeches go by without somebody <laughs> saying boat at some point. And it's yeah. by about halfway through, it, it's like the teacher in Charlie Brown. It's just that everyone seems to be saying boat, 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 <laughs> boat, boat, boat to each other. But not just any boat. Okay, The boats you talk about in the opening titles, it, the, it is one boat, it's the flying fish, it's a very famous boat if you watch Howard's Way. <laughs> and actually, it's a real boat and it exists. It looks like a training film. It looks like no, you've taken no. a job at a boatyard. Welcome <laughs> to Howard's Boatyard. Here's some boats. <laughs> they were going to call this the Boat Builders, and then they realised it might be sound like a bit of a dry documentary, so they changed their Dry house. doc, nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> anyway, so the start of this episode, it's episode five. We pretty much know who everyone is now. Well, I do. You probably don't. But there's a character called Avril who is furious with her dad because he won't drag the boatyard <laughs> into the mid-80s by agreeing to make boats out of anything other than wood. I mean, they, to... they launch you in right at the beginning. Obviously, I didn't mm. have any idea yeah. who these people are, and it's just people striding past, past boats, shouting at each other, and they, <laughs> they are definitely going for it. There's definite shouting. It's Avril and Jack, am I right? That's right. Jack's the dad, the grandma. I mean, overlapping cues, lovely technique, love. They are really, you know, they have learned those lines and they really <laughs> know when to start saying them. So as an actor, you appreciated the skill. Appreciate the technique. Um, good. And, you know, a lot of episodes of things then and now sort of start, you know, a little bit easing you in, like mm. shot of a kettle boiling and then morning, yes. darling. And I mean, and this is, I'm angry about boats, stride yeah, yeah, yeah. with me. Yeah, you leave them right in the middle of the argument, I think at the end of episode four, so you just go right back in where you left off. And it's, uh, yes, there's, there's a lot of shouting and she calls him a bloody ostrich. <laughs> I enjoyed ma- massively. And she, they don't swear he, off to He her. calls her a bit of a girl, which is confusing because yeah. like all 80s women of any age, she looks 45. <laughs> she does not. Everyone Susan does. the most beautiful woman <laughs> no, in the no, world. No. I mean, she, yeah, but th- there's that, st- maybe it's just because people who looked like that were so much older than me. Yeah. There's something about 80s styling that you go, right, that's somebody's mum, even if it's a 20 year old. Well, and the voice Voices, the, yes. the accents. Well, <laughs> this is this is a fascination of mine because not only do you have all the men talking in their eighties actor Mr. Griffith voices, <laughs> and that we only really know as parody, but people really did talk like that. Yeah. But we also, you know, in the eighties, we laugh at the brief encounter style thirties, fifties clipped voice talking. Yeah. <clears throat> but eighties women. Their RP was just as stylized. They just sounded... It was, it was basically the same kind of thing. It was lots of lovely vowels and consonants, but they just had to sound a bit more defeated by life. <laughs> so that the inflections were always essentially saying, I give up. And you really get that with Avril in this thing. You do, you do a lot, actually. Yeah, she's, although she is an independent businesswoman, as so many of the women are in Howard's Way, she does have this softer side. She, she kind of does seem to be on the back foot a lot, doesn't she? So I, I don't want to say victim, but sometimes a bit victim And then they bump into a seven-year-old Kulvinder Gear. Yes! <laughs> Who, now, remind me what he was in oh, again. Oh, goodness gracious me. That's right. He's the young, only Asian in the village in this show. It's quite progressive. I thought for 1985 yeah. to have a, an Asian character was progressive, which they kind of blow by, on the, on the evidence of this episode, his job is to stand up a ladder agreeing with white people. <laughs> that is essentially what he does. They do give him a brief but punchy um, racism in the workplace storyline 
a, a bit before we see him here. So he does get to express some of some of the story of his. If somebody racist <laughs> to him about a boat. Yeah, <laughs> effectively, yes. And but the person being racist to him is holding a can of beer at lunchtime, which kind of I think is a moral judgment on the on the racer. Drinking, not the racing. (laughs) Drinking is a big moral signifier in Howard's way, if I can judge by this episode. It is. I mean, they're always doing it first and foremost. So everyone has usually got a drink, whether it's the morning, the afternoon, or the (laughs) evening. Um, Later in the series, there's a breakfast meeting that just has champagne because you know, because we can. (laughs) It's quite something. Anyway, so we uh, there's a brief scene in the boatyard where Bill, who's the old sea dog who's been working with Jack since the year dot. Uh, talks to Davy uh, about how they should or shouldn't move with the times, and so Bill represents the old guard, and Davy represents the new, and they disagree effectively. Does anyone talk about toys in this scene? Because <laughs> I was very confused, Aww. and I'm this sure this is when they're shouting, isn't it? When they're shouting, yeah. I thought. Is she asking him to make toys? Because that seems... I mean, as we're going to discover... I am not a toy maker! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't make toys. Um, as, you know, later in this episode, we find out that there's all kinds of diversification possibilities <laughs> yeah. around a boatyard, but I, I must have... I must have misremembered the toys. It's about whether to make boats out of wooden plastic. Is that right? Yes, I think he sees the plastic boats as effectively no better than toys. Single-use plastic boats. Yes, exactly, because they're not serious. If they're not made of wood, then they can't be serious. They must be. It's a way of being derogatory about that. It is a genuine problem uh, ecologically because landfill is full of massive plastic empty (laughs) boats uh, that just get used once and tossed away. It's true. We really need more sustainable Sustainable plastic. Recycle recycle your boats, you lazy yacht. People. <laughs> anyway, we leave the boatyard precipitously to join. This is a, a repeated trope in Howard's way. I've realised uh, this time around watching it. We join Jan behind the wheel of her silver mini metro, accompanied by saxy driving music. Such jaunty <laughs> sax driving music as well. And it's it's a mini metro driving through Hampshire. Yeah. And it, you kind yeah. of want to go to the alternative world where Cagney and Lacey are zooming through Manhattan to the sound of Elgar. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it, it, it really is proper 80s American sax. And it's just a woman in a metro. <laughs> no, no. It's an empowered former housewife driving in a car that she can drive herself, obviously, which must have been very unusual for the day. She's, <laughs> she's an 80s woman, so she's turned on by money, power and adultery. They're yes, the she things is. That, and red seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of red seatbelts, uh, you then, we get to meet Ken, who is, when we first see him in this episode, in a red BMW with his dolly bird, Dawn and her hair in the passenger seat. <laughs> I want to save Ken until we see him with Jan in the next scene. Then let's skip over because him he's now. iconic. Let's just talk about Dawn and her hair. Let's just say he's going to lunch and she's got hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Huge. it's just vast, um, <laughs> and she's kind. She kind of can't help but be dwarfed by her hair. <laughs> she does look very small <laughs> and she's, sad she's, and vulnerable under that. Which I, I, you said vulnerability and. Yeah. Um, it's not the greatest part in the world, and but she does, uh, despite everything, get a certain amount of vulnerability into the part, particularly later on. No, no, she really on. does. I mean, she's treated appallingly, and she does definitely make you feel sorry for her character, for sure. So then we see, we, we have a brief scene outside the Jolly Sailor, uh, which is the public house, which is still called the Jolly Sailor, and you can go there. I plan some kind of Sharabang trip if you're interested. See you there. Um, and Avril, meanwhile, having had this big row with her dad about toys, um, <laughs> she's now searching from location to location, trying to find him because he's gone off in a strop and she's fairly sure he'll have gone off to the nearest pub and started um, an all-day boozing session, which is what he does when he has a problem. And yet she doesn't find him. She doesn't find him, no, it's a fruitless search. 
But meanwhile, Ken returns from lunch. Um, I believe Dawn and her hair have, uh, have, have made their exit. Um, and he's wearing the most incredible outfit. I, I want you to talk about Ken now. I can't wait any longer. Well, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal entrance yeah. because he comes into the office where Jan's working. He's wearing a skin-tight polo neck. Yeah, he loves polo neck. Black polo neck jumper. Yeah, and for, for most of the first minute, he's got one arm folded behind his back. Yeah. The guy who plays Ken Masters is a, is a handsome guy, but he's not the he's not the 2018 idea of a sex Oh symbol. no 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 absolutely! But he is walking around in his skin tight black polo neck <laughs> with his arm folded behind his back, as if everyone is supposed to drip with sex at uh, the sight yeah. of him. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And not only that, he comes in and he pronounces the word "recce" as "recce." <laughs> Which they may have done in the 80s, or it may have been a proper Ken Mastersism, but it's something like, have you been doing a reggae? At which point, you know, I'm bowled over. Ken is my master. <laughs> you see, he unexpectedly has this effect on everyone. Yeah, it's kind of like he's got a sort of uh, Olympic speed skater thing going on with it. <laughs> One hand just, just jams like behind his back. And you need, you need it in this scene as well, because there's a lot of exposition in this scene. So basically, Jan and Ken spend the scene saying stuff like, explain a bit more about what you've just said to me. <laughs> Yes, good point. But what about if you say that again? There's so, nothing worse than people. If there's, it's either a science lab or an office setting. When in any drama, when characters are trying to explain complex things to an audience who doesn't understand or care, it just—it's always very difficult. Or just glossed over. Like, yeah. Uh, so many, so many people who work in theatre or TV have never done an office job in their life. No, so quite. they they write dialogues like, yes, well, it's very important for the business <laughs> to do all the money and the accounting. <laughs> it's, um, as ever, Victoria Wood did it best, didn't oh, she? Oh, God, yeah. Yes, that's much better. If we collect these antiques on Thursday, we can take delivery of these <laughs> antiques and just pointing at a piece of paper. And it's <laughs> very, a, very that, that's where we are a bit like on antiques in this scene. Com- no, completely. There are there are little, little echoes of it. Um, my favourite line in the scene, however, is Jan, who casually asks Ken, just when he's just back from lunch, and how much are you wedded to this idea of being number one in the South? It's <laughs> a great opener for her trying to push her new business idea at him, I think. I would love it if he just sort of turned and looked behind him and said, what? <laughs> number one in the what? Why are you jumping into the middle of a conversation? Wedded? Why aren't you talking like a person? Although actually, Jan Harvey, sorry, sidebar, yeah. it is desperately confusing that the actor Jan Harvey plays a character called Jan whose maiden name was Harvey. I know, I know. I mean, what's going on there? Well, apparently she said... She almost only ever plays parts called Jan, <laughs> and it's never—it's never her choice. It just seemed to happen that way. So you know, yes, it's, it's just a mysterious coincidence. But she has escaped eighties RP defeated voice. Yeah, um, because she has. she gets to be. Well, she dynamic. talks a bit more like a human, although everything really comes out as slightly ironic all the time. Because <laughs> I think that's the eighties idea of sexy—that <laughs> you don't ever say anything as if you're entirely sincere. <laughs> I love. I wish people could see what you did with your eyes when you did that. It was it was really something. Hi, <laughs> Call me. I'm sexy because I totally lack any genuineness at all. I'm not saying she's a bad actor. She's no, one no, of the best no, actors no. in the show. But she's it's great. that it's that mode of delivery. Maybe we're the generation that grew up fetishizing irony to the tedious degree we did. Yes, because perhaps. all Friends the actresses so and, told yeah. us that that was sexy, <laughs> and somehow it just got lodged there. So the scene ends effectively with the two of them getting quite flirty. She, but she's very determined to push her new idea, which is not not to open a supermarket yachting emporium. A marine supermarket. Yeah. What Ken wants is like a shop that sells everything. What she wants to do is basically start a fashion empire. And she's got to persuade him. And so there's a really odd, oddly paced exchange right at the end where she sort of says, so can we talk about it? And he says, hell's teeth. 
then whips out a single red rose. Which has a sort of Seinfeld sting. Yes. It's like, it's a rose. (laughs) It was definitely missing the lyrics there. That was excellent. (laughs) And then he says dinner. So they're they're going to now go out. He's presented her with a rose and they're going out for dinner. So, you know, she's Just a business meal. She's married. He's got poor Dawn in tow. Something's not quite right here. Anyway... Also, why are they not the size of houses? Because he's just come back from a massive lunch and it appears this is a regular occurrence. Absolutely. Go to the office for three minutes after lunch (laughs) to arrange dinner. Yeah, you do. And you drink with every meal, sometimes including breakfast. So, you know, the calories involved are just quite dizzying. Then we see briefly that Jack is indeed shit-faced and driving his massive estate car like a lunatic. They did um, not stint on the let's make sure you know he's drunk. Yes. I mean, it is, and we drive their car to this side of the yeah, road and yeah. this side of the road. I do. I really, I really like Glyn Owen's drunk acting anyway. I, I think it's a real... He's really enjoying it, which I think it's, makes it quite pleasurable to watch. And I'm going to ask you about drunk acting in a minute because I want to know how you act drunk. But um, we briefly see him. He nearly kills Leo who's a bit wet anyway, wouldn't be a great loss, but um, he's on his motorbike and he nearly gets knocked over. And then we leave him to to hurtle down the road, uh, absolutely pie-eyed out of his mind. Back at the yard, meanwhile, Avril and Tom are discussing what to do next because she can't find Jack and she knows shit's about to kick off. And she says the phrase, I think she says to Tom, he'll come round. <laughs> and then later on at the Howard House, the next scene is actually at the Howard House, Tom comes home and because his wife is never at the kitchen sink anymore, she's always out making business deals rather than his shepherd's pie. <laughs> Jan's mum, Kate, is there instead making dinner, listening to the racing. And he says something about, you know, wishing that Jan could see that he needs to invest more in the yard and save it, and blah, blah, blah. And then she says to him, she'll come round. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, it, it, it's like the French and Saunders Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman sketch <laughs> where every scene starts with uh, Jennifer Saunders as Jane Seymour. <laughs> Uh, exiting a room going, she's sleeping now. <laughs> you could absolutely put the... Uh, French and Saunders Howard away would be amazing. Oh, God, I would love to see that. Who would play... Um, who would who would Jennifer Saunders play? She's be, got to be Jan, driving around Jan with the sax music. In a kind of music. streepy, a Meryl Streepy vibe going on, yeah. definitely, yeah. With the, the red seatbelt would be on permanently, even when she got there. <laughs> <laughs> She'd just be surrounded by saxophone music wherever she went. And do, what, what, I mean, Dawn French would have to be... Ken G- Masters? Oh, of course. <laughs> in a bald cap. Of course she would. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> Maybe we could persuade them to come out of uh, their, their sort of double act retirement because I'd love to see that. In that scene that we just slightly glossed over between Avril and Tom mm. was my first favourite piece of dialogue mm. that was so good I had mm. to write it down, uh, which was, anything I can do, just design us a good boat. <laughs> which is now my go-to answer. If anyone says to me anything I can do, I'm just going to look at them and say, just design us a good boat. <laughs> Um, it's like when I'm when I'm cooking, my husband obviously often says, yeah. "Is there anything I can do?" Um, and from now on, he's just going to have to design me a good boat because what better answer to that question? Poor confused husband. <coughs> what? <laughs> just honestly, please tell me you're going to sit down and watch Howard's Way with him. I think he'd really like it. <laughs> so yeah, so we have this brief scene between Tom and his mother-in-law, who's rooting for their marriage. Definitely, she wants them to stay together, but. She can see that they're drifting apart. And she's only Dulcy bloody grey. Well, I know, of course, so this is the first time you, you saw uh, Kate in this episode. But yeah, she is such a famous lady from like Th- 1940s cinema. Yeah, theatre theater and cinema legend. She was married to Michael Dennison for 900 years. And he does get roped into this series later. Actually. Does he? Yes, he does. Oh, because they always work together. I think they did. She gets him as, in as her love interest a bit later on. So They yeah. spent several decades doing 
the importance of being earnest wow. to anyone who asked and lots of people who didn't. Nice. <laughs> um, but she, I mean, she's so wonderfully 40s posh. She is. She's terrific. And I love that detail you mentioned of her listening to the racing because, of course, she's, you know, she's the queen mother. Yes, she is. She, she, has, a, she has a gin and she listens to the racing yeah. and she, she offers racist advice. <laughs> Well, come on, define racist. <laughs> no, I mean, that's more <laughs> a Queen Mother reference. Uh, uh, Kate Howard's Way, or whatever her name is, is yeah. not a racist disclaimer. No, of course not. So she does mention to Tom that Jan's not home because she's having dinner with her boss. And then there's like a doom strings music cue. No sax. Really. This no, is not a sexy moment. It's serious. It's serious. Tom <clears throat> knows it's serious. Kate knows it's serious. And then the damn well violins know it's serious too. Um, and then we see, we meet Abby, who I don't think you've met before. And no. she is not very happy. Oh, this is, the, this is the mother and the um, Tanita Tickerham and Aunt Sally mother and daughter, isn't it? <laughs> the sort of, the, 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 the gothy one and the thin pinched wooden That's one. That's the one, yes. Mother and daughter, Polly and Abby. And they have a little sort of, they're always having little rows on the stairs. Abby's either coming up to her bedroom or going, sneaking out the front door. And that's usually where they have most of their conversations. And uh, Polly's just really undiplomatic. Oh, I do like this. This is the first time in an 80s soap opera set in quite an affluent part of the south of, of England where someone says, yeah. <laughs> Which I also really enjoyed. <laughs> where Polly just goes, Are you going out? And Abby just goes, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you said, yeah. This- I remember, actually, as a sidebar, when Strictly Come Dancing came back with Darcy Bustle as the new judge, yeah. for her the whole of her first episode, she just said, yeah, after everything. <laughs> and clearly the producer just went, no, 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 don't do that. And, she, and then she never did it again. That is a, a wonderful chair for the English language, though, because yeah. I got obsessed in early Strictly. This is for the Strictly podcast, oh, really. But, oh, we should do that. <clears throat> um, when Arlene Phillips was a judge, she mm. would never finish a sentence. So she'd say, and what's so wonderful is your passion and the floor and you have the... <laughs> arms and what I love is really really and the accuracy with the steps with you and then everyone would clap in a sort of bizarre confusion (laughs) so anyway yeah Abby is yeah going out no it's never anywhere fun she's always just wearing a miserable smock and a miserable face and she's not very happy these scenes with Abby and Polly have the slightly stilted quality of scripted reality they're a bit made in Chelsea oh do you think it's like because they're full of pauses it's like these two people who've been given as i presume you know works in, in scripted reality yeah you know, here's the here's the situation here's the three salient yeah. points you need to get across here's how you feel about it, it that's there's it. not quite an organic feel to it no i know what you mean it's a little bit stiff but anyway that's the the, the awkwardness between mother and daughter i think it's perfectly uh, uh, apt in this situation we should mention polly's powder blue <laughs> andy pandy outfit <laughs> Because, she I mean, has some interesting clothes. I'm I, sure they're all very expensive. I know it was the 80s, but that is something else. <laughs> it's so it's tightly and thinly belted. Yeah, it's yeah. a particular powder blue that <clears throat> Thatcher blue. Would you say? No, it's 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 lighter than that. It's um, it's liquid on old sanitary towel adverts blue. <laughs> wow, that's always quite blue, isn't it? Um, and she, I mean, if anyone can pull it off, she can't. <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure she didn't get to choose her clothes, Jonathan. Anyway, my favourite bit's coming up next, so I'm going to rush you onto it now. So obviously, Jan and Ken are going to go out for dinner, but first they have to get ready to go out for dinner. And we see... (laughs) Who we? So we go to their separate uh, residences to see them getting ready. And first we see Jan sitting at her dressing table. Getting dressed up as (laughs) Olivia Newton-John in the Let's Get Physical video. There's this headband. It's so bizarre. It's a sequined headband. Again, far too thin. I don't know what it was about bisecting your body with thin things. Yeah, yeah. And she's wearing it practically on her fucking eyebrows. Um, And then there's this... (gasps) Very 80s again, electric blue. We need to talk about blue and white things. Oh, yes, okay. So, Lynn, when we see her, the innocent is dressed all in white. Polly's in blue. At dawn, we're about to see in some extraordinary blue. Oh, the blue, yes, yes. And Jan has the highest level blue in this episode. (laughs) Basically, if you're you're a sweet, innocent, virginal, you wear white. If you're sex people, you wear blue. Yeah. And Jan has a very sex people dress. So you think it signals her intent for the evening? I think so. It's also blue and white. It's nautical. Even if she doesn't realise it. Well, there's a lot of nautique in it. I mean, she does realise it. It's backless. Oh, I mean, it's backless, yes. She is, she is so determined to show Ken some flesh that this thing has slashed arms. <laughs> no, I think I think I wrote down here that Jan looks like she's getting ready for an Amdram production of The Boyfriend. <laughs> very, I, th- I, 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 in my head, there's a feather in the in the headband, but is there? I don't know. Maybe there's no. That, it's that is in your head. She but... spends about half the scene pulling one strand after another of her fringe and putting it exactly back in the place where it just was because it's clearly full of And it's, sh- it's short. Yeah, it was, uh, there's not a lot you can I do. I mean, la- if we're talking lacquer, we need to go back mm. to Polly, who's got <laughs> 28 cans of Elnet in Dawn. There. And, and, Dawn's and got Dawn. full scaffolding under there. So Dawn, of course, she's the other half of this getting ready montage. And yeah. The scene between Dawn and Ken is such a... They're sex people, Lynn. Well, I think to lead lead into that, I have to mention this because I wrote this line down. Tom does briefly pop in to see his wife getting tarted up for another man. And he says to her, I don't like medallion men. (laughs) Which I think sums Ken up quite perfectly. Under that polo neck is probably like a very flat medallion. But, I mean, that's what's so wonderful about it. It's By then, it's such a frame... It's sort of gone now as a frame of reference. But it's such a frame of reference that we know that He's talking about somebody who, at no point in the episode, wears a medallion. Does, doesn't need to. He is a medallion. It's um, it's Peter Blake in Dear John, isn't it? Yes, is the ultimate exactly. uh, 80s medallion. There's too man. many buttons undone. Hairy chest, big gold medallion. So, yes, no, go on. Talk about Ken getting ready, because this is obviously the mirror scene to well, what we I mean, talked about. Dawn is just chilling on the sofa mm-hmm. in skin-tight electric blue Lurex pants you like you do. she's trying to tell him not to go? <laughs> well, she's, she, she's sitting with her knees bent and her feet on the sofa in that sort of... Slightly sex kitten position. Yeah, um, they've got some awful erotic dialogue. You know, you know oh, how. Oh no, this makes me cringe. When you listen to the arches, you cringe when somebody says, yeah. "Come here, you." <laughs> and that's their that's their avatar for sex. In this, we we know that they're very sex people. Firstly, because he comes in just casually dressed for a business meeting in his white tux. And Dawn says... Like he's in Monte Carlo. (laughs) She says, you don't dress like that for me. Uh, Dawn, by the way, um, keeps going on about how common she is and how how she's working class and that's why everyone hates her. But she does it in possibly the most heightened RP of anyone in the episode. <laughs> you hate me because I'm so terribly common, don't you? That's what it is. Um, and she says she says to Ken, you don't dress like that for me. And he says, no, I undress for you. Ooh. Really charmlessly. Ooh. And also, it tells you so much about their sex life oh, because they God. don't undress each other. No. So she's, she's perching on the bed in her skin-tight pants and he's... <laughs> Just undoing the buttons, Dawn, <laughs> as you were. Um, I just don't even want to think about it. And then even more sort of sex people details, of course, is um, 
he says, why don't you watch those videos that oh, I yes. got from... And you're thinking, oh, is it, is, what, what was the big film of 85? Probably Back to the Future or something, <laughs> something nice. And she says, it's no fun watching blue movies on Ugh. your own. Now, first of all, yes, everyone everyone cringes, but also, yeah. I mean, it's, it's delightfully innocent because <laughs> watching blue movies on your own is what they're for. <laughs> they're designed for a particular, necessarily private act. Yeah. I mean, I know some couples watch porn together to spice no. up the bedroom but no it's like that bit in um, in love actually where it's at the end and everyone's sort of getting together with everyone and and bill nye's character goes off with his manager you know the rock star have right. you ever seen it he goes off with his manager and says come on let's go let's go and get pissed and watch porn it's like no nobody would do that no do it in separate rooms well, do you don't want to watch each other no. wanking and why watch porn well, and not anyway i'm, I'm saying wanking too much have sex wanking and sex but as we discover yeah. she watches five hours of porn while he's out because <laughs> she says how long he's been out and we can just hear well we'll come to that scene in a minute but anyway ken is clearly a frightful lizard and uh, she doesn't deserve to be with this awful man but clearly feels like she doesn't she can't do any better he goes out leaves her with her blue movies and a big bottle of gin which is empty by the end of uh, this oh is it i hadn't clocked that yeah she kind of picks it up and looks at it and then puts it down again because i believe it to be empty no tonic or ice in sight my own heart lovely lovely i mean ice obviously Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Abby is looking for Leo and uh, she goes and knocks on the Howard's front door and Tom tells her that he's probably at the yacht club because he always gives his sister a lift on the back of his motorbike. So she trudges off mournfully <laughs> towards the yacht club. Sad tuba. <laughs> I wish they would accompany Abby's bit sad. She'd make them all bearable. She's just, she just gets, she doesn't get a break. The character has a really tough time. So then we go to the, the glamorous environs of the yacht club where Phil Norton, played by Anthony Head, the gold blend man. Is... And Frank Anferta and Mr. Oh. Gently Benevolent. And I suppose most people would maybe say Buffy, but we're going for no, no, adverts, Radio 4 comedy and musical theatre. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's brilliant in all those things, but he is the gold blend man. And that's how I will remember Can we him. wind back before we get into the, into the, into the co-stars? But I'm at the yacht club. 
club now. I'm going to order a gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> From the Overlet Pine Yacht Club, um, yeah. which this is a very deep cut, which looks like. Do you remember Family Affairs, which um, Jan Harvey and I Ken Masters remember. were both in? God, were later they on. at the same time? The Yacht Club looks exactly like the lock in Charnham. I it's got that, it well. that overlit plastic pine, looks yeah. like a works canteen yeah. feel that's very, very unpublic. But before we get to the Yacht Club slash the lock in yeah. Family Affairs, we see Dulcie Gray, who's got the best of all cars. Oh, I know the She's Morris driving a Morris Traveller. I didn't realise, I mean, obviously, you, you presumably married. Joel Morris so that you could have you could <laughs> so be a, a Morris Traveller yeah, yeah I like Morris dancing and I really want a Morris Traveller there's a um, Morris yeah. Traveller and I want to know the story behind this that has been parked in the exact spot without moving in Belsize Road in northwest London for 23 years to my oh. certain knowledge um, it never moves I don't think it's ever driven but it's oh, always I'm spotless sad. really yeah. oh, so someone's looking after it but it's just not moving I wonder if it's Dulcie Grace for this episode if it's <gasps> if it's just a little tiny pop-up Howard's Way Museum oh in the middle of Swiss Cottage. No, that I want to open that now. How it's made in the back of a Morris Traveller. God, that would be my ideal job. Aww. Anyway, so where were we? Yes, Leo is taking his sister to the Yacht Club. Uh, the Goldblend man is chatting up his sister at the Yacht Club and he says the rather, rather distasteful line to Lynn, push yourself in my direction, which is just bleh. It's, I mean, how do you... I'm, I'm pushing! Here we go. <laughs> Hold on. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm nearly there. Yeah, keep, keep feeling sexy. It's I'm not... just, just pushing myself over here with my muscles. <laughs> no, it's just not a very, um, not a very uh, sexy thing to say. But what an amazing list of... I mean, I was so excited yeah. uh, when I saw that it was Anthony Head and I did a Google. So many brilliant co-stars or, oh, or yes. guest stars over yes, the years. Yes. So, uh, Greg Hicks from the, you know, the RSC's leading man turns up. Michael yep. Cochran, the brilliant character actor. And I'm so sad that I didn't get a Kate O'Mara episode as I'm well. really sorry you, you will come back for Kate won't you definitely we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to her eventually she doesn't come in for a surprisingly long time actually but uh, it's like you have to wait for it. it's like uh, the first series of Dynasty there is no Alexis mm. and they put her on all the DVD covers and it's just like she's not even in the show but I yes, met no, Kate, Kate O'Mara, O'Mara once, is... but that's another story for another time no 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 tell me <laughs> Uh, well, she worked with my dad a couple of times. She played Goneril in his production of King Lear. And oh, no, was... so John's dad is the great Don Taylor, who uh, you, he was a director of the BBC and then he adapted many... And wrote plays, plays as well. He, plays, he's yeah. played The Exorcism. Um, she was also in a, a, oh. a tour of that. Oh. And uh, when he was casting for something or other, you know, often actors would come to our house uh, to read. And on one occasion, it must have been half-term or the school holidays, but as a particularly grotty 14-year-old with greasy hair and greasy skin and everything that goes with it and a bad attitude, the doorbell rang and I went to answer it in my night attire of the time, which was a calf-length, oversized nightshirt slash T-shirt. You wore a a nightdress to bed. Pretty much, yeah, with a massive Mickey Mouse on it. Oh, God. Um, And it was, you know, I say calf length, it wasn't, I mean thigh length. Uh, If I turned at the wrong angle, you'd probably see a bit of ball. Oh, no. Um, And in this... You didn't, John. I did not flash Kate O'Mara. But in this enticing enticing garment, I opened the front door and Kate O'Mara was stood there in in dynasty dress. And when I think back on it... Did she look astonishing? Well... I mean, if I went to a casting now and a sulky teenager with his balls out and Mickey Mouse on his chest opened the door, I'd, I might look askance at it. Let's put it, let's put it that way. But Kate O'Mara didn't. Unfortunately, she didn't come up with any kind of incredibly... 
pithy, <laughs> cocked eyebrow one-liner. Damn she it. just said, is Don Taylor in? <laughs> Rather yeah. than, you know, I've heard of I night think, shirts, but... I think massage this story line. over the next few years until she, you've got her saying something absolutely devastating. Back at the York Club, uh, not only is creepy Phil Norton trying to get Lynn into bed, but so is creepy Nick, her old friend from childhood, who, uh, who won't leave her alone either. Anyway, so she just goes there to get sexually harassed, essentially, and then comes home again. Meanwhile, Tom is... This is... I really feel sorry for Kate in this scene. Tom is now inexplicably down by the marina walking with his mother-in-law telling her at great length about ultralight displacement boats which he's is a real uh, a real special pigeon of his at the moment do they walk around in a circle in this scene oh i didn't notice I, did I, they? I, I i was watching the scene and while tom was making me want to shoot myself with boredom i <laughs> i i thought is that the same boat or is it just uh, that boats all look the same it's like that scene that brilliant scene racist. in um <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. Somebody who's competed in the boat race. What do you do? I'm a boat racist. No, that's not what... Sorry, I didn't mean... Um, but yeah, there's a there's that fantastic scene in uh, A Touch of Cloth when, yeah. as, a, as a parody scene of a walk and talk, John Hanna and Saran Jones uh, just walk down one corridor and then turn around and walk back down the same corridor. And that's what this scene felt like. Okay. I think they were doing a little circular circuit they may have been. of the boatyard. Anyway, we briefly return to the Yacht Club where Goldblend Man is still uh, putting the moves on Lynn because she deserves it. She's a barmaid. It's all you get. And then uh, <laughs> Leo offers Avril a lift on his motorbike. She's still looking for her dad. And so Leo, you can sense, is a bit sweet on her at this stage. He's so wet, though, isn't He's he? He's incredibly wet. I, again, I do feel sorry for him because he doesn't get to do much that isn't I mean, who really, is he? really passive aggressive I, and wet. I think I probably hate Leo. <laughs> you can't hate him. He cares about the planet. Oh, whoopee ding. <laughs> You know that Leo, he cares about the planet, so which yeah. is a good thing to do. We should all care about the planet, everyone. Sure. But if you were caring about the planet in 1985, then you are definitely an acid casualty with a beard sitting outside pubs <laughs> with, a, with a beaded necklace on yeah. boring people about fucking chemtrails by now. That's I, what I think of people with a conscience. I feel sorry for him. Anyway, so obviously as Leo and Avril are getting onto Leo's motorbike... It's at that point that sulky, sad Abby. I've actually drawn a picture of her in my notebook. Oh, I wish you could. I wish you could see it. It's it's absolutely perfect. Um, You need to put. You need to put that in the. Show notes. I totally will. We'll do show notes. If that's the thing. But yeah, she catches sight of Leo, who she's never really expressed any romantic interest in. But clearly, it's been bubbling under. But she has her own stuff to worry about. That's because um, he's porridge. You can't express romantic interest in a bowl of porridge. <laughs> well, no, she can. But you know, it, it takes a while. So she sees Leo getting onto his motorbike with another woman and looks even sadder, if that's possible. <laughs> and they uh, deserve and each other. Actually, slopes off dejectedly again, probably to head back home and have another row with her mother. Now we're getting into one of my favourite sequences. So now this is where the Morris Traveller actually comes in. So that's where we first see Kate. Well, in this episode, it's where we first see Kate driving her amazing car. It can't be because I've got Morris Traveller on the previous page. Well, look, I don't care about your notes. Like mine, <laughs> this is the Bible here that I'm hitting now. But anyway, there's Kate's, Kate's in a Morris Traveller. I'm never happier than when I see her in one of those. And then Jack is absolutely shit-faced and he gets into his car outside another pub. It's a different one I've not seen him at before. And he's obviously going to drive again even more half-cut than he was before. Uh, meanwhile, Kate's in her car, so it's like two people blamelessly. in cars. Blamelessly. a lovely little old lady in the nicest car you could imagine, the most British heritage <laughs> vehicle. And then this drunk lunatic in... She's got a murder kit in the boot. But a... <laughs> oh, we've, we've had many theories about the characters and how it's secretly being killers. <laughs> Leo, Talking actually. about murder on the podcast, check us out. That's not like podcasts. <laughs> I know, we have to get it in somewhere. It's actually a legal requirement. So now... We 
get to see, never mind Jack's probably going to kill some innocent people with his drunken driving. Now we get to Jan and Ken, who are at Casper's. And Casper's, as far as I can remember, it's the only other venue. It's not the yacht club. It's not, there's the pub. Casper's is where you go with a very important client, like Mr. Udi Gower neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite odd. And Dawn expresses surprise that Ken is taking just one of his employees to Casper's because it's really fancy. Julie and I were in a, a fancy restaurant recently and in tribute to... <laughs> Um, Ken and Jan in this scene we both sat on the same side of the table (laughs) uh, which is what they do for the sake of the two shot but um, it is it is extraordinary how very next to each other they are (laughs) in this in this meal for two it's quite hard to cheat those angles isn't it some of some of my favorite moments in this scene yeah I mean we'll get to this later but at this point in the episode I wrote there are couples dancing in this restaurant poor innocent me little did I know what was coming (laughs) they were just warming you up um, but this is where Jan is making her pitch to become a top businesswoman in business and adultery. A fashion businesswoman rather um, than just a businesswoman. Yes, yeah, she wants to run a boutique. And her credentials for this is that she wears clothes. <laughs> and Ken quite rightly expresses doubts that she'll know what to do. And he's either eating, he's got, like, she obviously doesn't have a starter because women didn't do that if they wanted to fit into their lovely clothes. But Ken has got one of those starters, which I couldn't quite make out on the video, but it's in a stem glass. It's either a prawn cocktail or like half a grapefruit with a cherry on the top. Or just a gram. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the uh, the cocaine, please. <laughs> I'll have the businessman's starter, please. <laughs> I like little details like that. Yes, there are people dancing in this very strange restaurant. They're wildly overdressed and he's eating half a grapefruit like it's a luxury food mm-hmm. item. <laughs> uh, great exchange where, where Jan really, you know, the balls of this woman. Yeah. Ken says to her, I don't know anything about fashion. And she says, I do. And it's like, mate, we can all see what you're wearing. <laughs> surely... The- we, just, we didn't know fashion in 85. This was probably the height of fashion. It was the, the decade that taste forgot, you know. This is clearly what everyone believed to be very stylish. Mm. They had a big budget for Howard's Way. I can't they imagine did. they skipped I mean, on the costumes. Yeah, it certainly is a thing. It's definitely there. <laughs> I'd like to see you pull off that stroke I of could blue. pull that off. <laughs> and a headband. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at you now. You definitely could. Uh, meanwhile, Kate nearly hits and kills Jack, who by this point has ditched his car in a ditch and is now weaving on foot down the middle of the In the same zigzag that the Cortina was driving in earlier. <laughs> yes. And Kate says, what the dickens? Because she nearly hits him. So Does I wa- she actually say what the dickens? <laughs> she, she says it quite often, in the <laughs> way. It's kind of her thing. If I like to think it's probably Dulcie Grey ad-libbing, because I just imagine that's how she always talks, <laughs> you know. So Jack is doing the best, for me, like the most fun drunk acting I think I've ever seen. But how do you, what do you do to act drunk? You're well, an actor. <laughs> well, like you say, Glyn Owen does a good job. I think he's having maybe too much fun at times. So he puts, for example, I, I noticed he puts about eight glottal stops into the word hedgehog. <laughs> 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 he does um, do that quite a lot, to, though. That's just how he to speaks. Drunk. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's like it's like crying as an actor. I think the mistake people make about acting drunk is very drunk, yeah, and all that stuff. Um, but most drunk people, particularly in, in this situation that Jackson, most drunk people are trying to convince people that they're not drunk. Yes, it's uh-huh, like it, yes. as I say, it's like crying because, in a sense, the key to crying is to be trying not to cry. So okay. I think the fun of doing a bit of drunk acting is actually to be doing that very precise, but slightly inaccurate, very sincere face, but just a little tiny slur on what you're saying. Because that yeah. is more true to life. And, Excellent. And, uh, and Glyn Owen, father of the actor Lloyd Owen. Oh, um, yes, yes. Off I, of the things. 
Yeah, he's in all sorts of things. Very handsome chap. Yeah, but he it, does a good job. There is there is a kind of delicious swagger about uh, Glyn Owen, actually. I think I could see in his younger days, he, I imagine he was a bit of an idol himself, a bit of a matinee idol. And I love I love this particularly 80s kind of character that still stayed with us of basically just the character who's a coronary. Yes. <laughs> who's always angry and always yeah. red-faced yeah. and always necking the whiskey. And you're just thinking, yeah, if you were TikTok. In the, if you were in the opening titles of Casualty, then you, you would be the one with the, with the things like jammed onto your chest. Just going to paint the chimney. <laughs> Every single week. So anyway, Leo has delivered Avril back to her home. So he goes inside to have his um, nightcap with Avril and he looks like she's just said, do you want to come and have sex with my face? <laughs> or something. But, uh, but he uh, really does Milk and sugar. <laughs> uh, what about the ice caps? <laughs> Fuck off, Leo. Okay. No one so far has warmed to Leo. I'm really starting to feel quite sorry for him. Anyway, back at Casper's, things are about to heat up between Jan and Ken. Uh, boy, are they ever. I mean, first of all, they have, they have the sexiest of all conversational topics. <laughs> they do. How many Arabs were at your school? <laughs> Stop it. You're getting me all excited. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, what? Uh, he asks her where she went to school, and she says what I think is supposed to be Tyrrells, but um, yes. in posh 80s voice, it comes out as Tyrrells. And he <laughs> says something like, well, aren't there lots of Arabs there? <laughs> what? And she says, there weren't any Arabs there in my day, but with an inflection that suggests she's actually saying, here are my labia. It's really weird. There's playing the subtext, but kudos to, to Jan Harvey for getting quite so much suggestiveness <laughs> and eroticism into the line, there weren't any Arabs there in my day. <laughs> And, Super sexy. And because this is a restaurant where people dance... Yes, now this is what we've been building up to. Ken's big... You know, the big measure-for-measure measure Tosca bargain that Ken wants to make with her <laughs> is, yes, I will fund your business. Even though he said he definitely wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. If you dance with me in this restaurant in Hampshire. <laughs> that's that's the, the price he's, yeah. he's getting her to pay. And so they get up and I... Whoa, I don't know. I, I suppose this is intended as a comedy sequence, yeah, but, but they get now? up and oh no, it's a tango. <laughs> so they they do a tango, and it's quite a choreographed. It's like the full straight, you know, arms in front of each other, faces to camera. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of meta stuff going on. Jan is practically, look, I mean, she's looking down the lens and she's she practically doing the whole record scratch freeze frame. <laughs> I suppose you're wondering how I got myself into this position. Well, she is thing, um, and I, I for Very one, strange. could have taken more of that, but. If I'm sitting trying to eat my prawn cocktail and chicken in a basket, <laughs> these people suddenly getting up and just because the pianist happens to be going rum tum da tum actually do the full you and know they take over some the like it hot rose in the mouth. Maybe it's the same rose from earlier, but it's they a rose. part they part the C of OAPs on the <laughs> just make a beeline for their for their yeah, uh, tango lunges. Just as when uh, Julie Andrews is sort of gloriously trilling away on that bus singing I Have Confidence in The yeah. Sound of Music. Nobody in the restaurant <laughs> notices that these two people have started fucking tangoing. No, it was perfectly normal back then. We all did it, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, so Sorry to bring the mood down again. We were having such fun at Casper's <laughs> and now we're back at um, Avril's house and Leo is lecturing her on ecology. Oh, <laughs> he says, I'm not creepy. alive anymore. <laughs> 
He says, buying Greenpeace stickers isn't enough, you know. I can just see on Julia's notes that next to Leo's name, she's drawn a CND peace sign right, in yeah. green. In like, green. Like the emojis that automatically appear when you say <laughs> names of films and TV programmes on Twitter. Yeah. Julia has a, a Leo emoji that she has to draw herself every single time. Um, the other thing we learned from this scene, by the way, yeah. um, one of the great lines, I think, of this episode is that Avril's dad, a.k.a. Jack, loves wood too much. <laughs> That's not possible, is it? <laughs> That's why they... I, I'm, I'm not trying to make the obvious smutty joke there. No. It, I don't think it's that that makes it such a funny line. It's just the concept of the fact that somebody can love wood, not only just love wood, but love wood too much. <laughs> but then, as we um, as we are about to discover, characters in Howard's Way love all kinds of things. They do, and it's usually inanimate things, so they're not focused on the human world that much. So we leave Leo and Avril with Leo having randomly agreed to do her decorating. Uh, but, but also... He's not with, a decorator, he's just said, I'll do it for you. That's so. the only interesting thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I'll paint your hallway. No, don't mention it. The, this is a part of a run of scenes. The, this scene between Leo and Avril mm-hmm. and also the scenes between um, Kate and Jack. Yeah. When she sees him weaving around the road, she picks him up and takes him home oh, in the Morris Traveller. Yes, yes, she looks after him, not and, knowing who he is. And so we have scenes between Kate and Jack in Kate's home. And this is a section in the middle of the episode where everyone just tells a stranger or a near stranger that's everything right. about themselves for yeah, no reason. they spill their guts. And actually, that's where we're going now. So Kate and Jack are back at Kate's house and she's trying to sober him up. And Jack is moaning about his daughter and he says, she's a two-faced feminist. You feminist Which is the worst thing you could possibly be, you know, up green and common, <laughs> without a bra, outrageous. Yeah, so clearly he sees that as the worst insult possible. Uh, he spends a lot of this episode just in Kate's parlour, whinging about his daughter and the guy he's gone into business with, little realising that the guy he's gone into business with is actually the son-in-law of the woman who has taken him in. Back on that Avril feminist thing as well, um, she's a raging feminist because... She she has an opinion. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's yeah. what makes her. Yeah. You know, she keeps speaking Valerie Solanas. <laughs> In a chunky belt. <laughs> and then we switch back to, yeah, so we're switching between these two sort of not couples. Uh, we switch back to Avril and Leo, and she's just found herself unexpectedly telling him the story of her broken love affair with this mystery man in London. So we've been hearing about the the fact that she's back in Tarrant because she left London under a romantic sort of grey cloud. But we don't know anything about it. This is the first time we've heard her say it. And she mentions that this guy that she loved said he wanted to marry her, went to America and came back and he'd married somebody else over there. And Leo says rather strongly at hearing this, that bastard, which is the most passionate he ever is in this show I think he doesn't get to swear I think ever again <laughs> but, but <laughs> he does in why this would he well I he's know. Leo <laughs> he's just really nice I'm a him I've taken a him okay fine well one of my other guests decided he was a serial killer well I wouldn't put it past him <laughs> except it is too interesting yeah I know you're right I think he yeah. might be a serial accountant <laughs> secretly going around doing people's books while they're not looking back to Abby and Polly so um, Abby having found him and, and, and thought he was off with another girl she trails back into her house again another argument on the stairs with her mum real and, soap territory now because and it's nasty it's, yeah, it's nasty savage. Yeah, because yeah. Um, uh, Abby says something like I didn't ask to be sent to finishing school. That's right. Polly says, I suppose you're going to say, I didn't ask to be born. Which is good that they preempted that rather than just having her say it. I thought that was quite yes. advanced for 85. Yes, yeah. that's true. And, <laughs> then, and then Abby says something like, I didn't. And then Polly, before she can stop herself, says, God knows the last thing I wanted to was be lumbered with. <laughs> and then she bites her tongue. And it feels like that 
it feels like that's the wrong point in the sentence to stop that <laughs> when there's only you a syllable the, to go. <laughs> you said the word lumbered. You, I mean, the damage you're, is done. You're past lumbered. You might as well just say you at that point. That horse is not going back into the stable. No, it's not. But then you get horror face and you get the first appearance in this episode of Drama Sacks. Yes. We've yes. had independent businesswoman sacks, yeah. we've had sexy sacks, and now it's wah, 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 <laughs> she just said that to her daughter. <laughs> and it is significant because obviously it has to there has to be a proper break between the two of them now to explain what happens at the end of this episode. So then Lynn is being walked home for safety by creepy Nick, now, who is her old childhood friend who secretly wants to get off with her. Now, he's he's played by Boris Becker. That's and, right. Um, yes, the tennis player. Uh, and she is played by Tracy Childs, oh, who is uh, in my personal pantheon because she of course is one of Felicity Montague's public school friends in the brilliant Victoria Wood sketch Just an Ordinary School. Was she in that? She was in that she's the one who among other things is in the dinner queue in the canteen and asks, oh. the, asks the dinner lady what's for dinner and then says oh it's boring old brochure champignon tediosity. <laughs> Um, That's one of the best sketches It ever. is fab. And, How uh, did I not remember she was in that? That's, That's Tracy Childs. Brilliant. And, uh, she just shot even further up in my estimation. That too. So she's, she's, she's got this ginger dude who's walked her home. Um, it's very bright, like the pub, it's very brightly lit it's outside weird, her house. It? It's like there's a football stadium just next door with its floodlights <laughs> on. Or just like lots of camera assistants with big torches. <laughs> but yes, she, she, she finished her shift at the yacht club He's supposed to be protecting her from the brigands that could jump out at her unannounced on her walk home because she's a very beautiful young woman. And instead, he turns out to be the threat and he makes a lunge for her and it's really quite... It's full-on boob grab. I mean, yeah. it's not... I mean, she gives him a peck on the cheek goodnight. And there's no suggestion that it's anything more than a peck. She's yeah. not interested. And then, but he, he doesn't even just... He doesn't go in for a kiss after the peck. No, 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 He, no, like, no. literally... Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Um, I was, Only I was, he made the noise. I was genuinely quite shocked. It was shocking, wasn't it? And then he and accuses she... her of the worst thing you can accuse any other what human being of. And this is where I lost it a bit. That's all you're interested in. Not people, just bloody boats. <laughs> That's when boats just became a word that no longer meant anything other than it was going to make me cry with laughter. Because when you, to the, uh, the point when you've just tried to sex best somebody, yes. and the worst thing you can say to them is, yeah, well, you love boats. <laughs> You and then, folks. turns out, yeah. he was right. Yeah. He was bang on the money. It's, it's actually, he was very perceptive. She goes inside, sees her dad, sort of uh, tearfully falls into his arms, and they talk, and she said, oh, a guy's been hassling me, and, and she says who it is, and he's, he's very supportive, he's very lovely to her. And then she does say to him, I don't think I could ever love a man as much as I love the flying fish. She says she loves boats too much, and this is where you better pray that no relative of of Tom Howard's ever has any kind of addiction issues <laughs> because she says, essentially, I'm just so worried that I might love boats more than people. And he says, would you like to go out in a boat? <laughs> and it's like somebody coming home from rehab yeah. and their dad saying, I know what you need, some lovely heroin. It's, <laughs> That'll make you feel better. She's lit mate, she's literally just said to you, I'm dangerously erotically obsessed with boats. <laughs> I don't think there's any suggestion that it's like well, a sex thing. I don't know. Okay, fine. Um, and he says, what you need is a boat, young lady. So they go out in a boat. <laughs> they literally do, middle of the night, out sailing, which is very them. And they actually go out sailing on the flying fish, which has obviously been sold to a mystery buyer. But the owner says they're allowed to take the boat out whenever they like. The timeline is all over the place at this point. Yeah. It's really hard to understand because if... If Lynn, who works as, as a barmaid at the Yacht Club, to get closer to the boats, by the way, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if Lynn has closed up 
So she's got to... Sorry, boring admin here, but mm. it's 11 o'clock it closes, drinking yeah. up time 11.20, clearing up, wiping tables, cashing up, washing the glasses, midnight at least, yes, at walking least. home, unpleasant conversation outside. Yeah. So old heroin boat dad is saying, <laughs> shall, we, shall we take the boat we've sold out at you know, one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and <laughs> Jan and Ken are still in We Never Close Caspers. Well, I know exactly. So everyone's having a bit of a late night back at Polly Urquhart's house. Uh, she tries rather hand-fistedly to tell Abby that even though she was a mistake, she does sort of love her, but I don't think it really cuts any mustard and with this Abby. And is, this is quite good thematically because we're bringing up the idea of unwanted pregnancies mm-hmm. and people having ah. babies that they don't want to have. Ah. Why is that relevant, you ask yourself? Um, one of my favourite lines in the episode, probably my favourite line in the episode, Polly does that mother thing of telling her daughter to dress better. And so she's got quite a nice little figure, is it? That's right. You've got such a nice little figure under all that. All you ever wear is that shapeless garment. (laughs) And that actress, who's maybe not the best actor I've ever seen, she saw that line on a page and she said, I'm game. But I have a theory, and I've not Googled it or Wikipedia'd it, but I have a theory that there's only one reason why Uh, women in a soap wear shapeless clothes. Okay, okay, say no more. And are in a bad mood. Say no more. It's the Chekhov thing. If you 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 show people a gun in Act 3, then it's going to go off in Act 4. If you show a woman a shapeless garment, Uh, she's going to go off in Act (laughs) 4. Shit, that's going to be messy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Also... Polly comes for Abby's hair in particular. Oh, yes, The bowl cut does. that you do. And that is a brave thing to do yeah. when, when she's got basil brush on her head. <laughs> if you could only ever have one hairstyle for the rest of your life, would you have the bowl cut or the basil brush? Um, I would alternate. <laughs> You're not, you can only have no, one. No, I'd have the bowl cut for normal working days and the basil brush for fancy. <laughs> when you wanted to team something with powder blue. Yeah, with Lovely. a Nick Kershaw. <laughs> Anyway, back in Kate's parlour, Jack's still whinging about his daughter. We can just leave it at that, really. They don't say much of any interest. And then back at Avril's house, Leo gets a peck on the cheek and is sent on his way. And I didn't, it's only in this episode that I saw when Avril closes her gate, it says thatched cottage on the gate. And it, it's, not it's the, the same guy. It's the guy that put Ken Masters on YouTube. It's the guy that goes around labelling things. This is a thatched cottage. That's Ken Masters. They're the two main ones. And it's not a thatched cottage. Oh, not. <laughs> what shall we call this house? I don't know. The Vatican. <laughs> it really is just a lovely detail. It made me smile. Anyway, back out on the on the water with Lynn and Tom. They're sailing the flying fish and having a lovely time, and then uh, back at their house... Now, that's not green screen, is it? No, they, they really did sail. They did all the sailing. Blimey. Yeah. Boats. So, <laughs> so Jan finally has come home from her weird tango, you know... Business meeting. Business date, <laughs> uh, with a rose in her teeth. Uh, Leo's also back... They're both looking as pleased as each other. He thinks he's in there with Avril. She is, well, pumped full of adrenaline because she's going to start her own boutique. And then Leo Um, turns completely into oatmeal and disappears (laughs) through cracks in the floorboards. If it rains, he literally would just (laughs) dissolve. It's not the actor's fault. He has a very Uh, difficult part. It is not the actor's fault. Um, Disclaimer. Yeah, so then we cut back to Abby, obviously, who is no cheerier. She, She gets her secret rucksack down from her secret cupboard and starts to pack... I wonder what she's doing. <laughs> yes, it's it's difficult to tell. Um, also, I mean, again, the, the logic isn't always always there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it's a sort of empty cupboard above yeah. a dainty dressing table <laughs> where she keeps her empty massive rucksack. Do you think there should have been like a duvet or something up there? I don't then? know. It just it just feels like nobody cared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Put a cupboard there. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, she can stand on the chair. Stand on the chair. That's that's sort of the feel of that scene. I, for me, it had everything I needed. I didn't, I didn't need any extra set dressing. And then we, oh God. So obviously everyone is back from their night out, including Ken, who arrives back at his bachelor pad with the spiral staircase. And by um, the timeline, it's like a month later at this it's point. Such, such a long time. And as he arrives back, we can hear almost indistinct but you can hear the audio from the end of the video that Dawn's been watching so the porn that Ken got for Dawn which she's been watching for five hours I mean she'll she needs to be careful she'll do herself an injury but um she's been watching it for five hours and it appears to be honky-tonk piano with sort of sassy Brooklyn women talking over the top that's all you can tell you can't really tell what they're saying it's all like hey over here with the sex already Who do I have to sex to sex a sex round here? Can you just imagine, obviously, they wouldn't be able to use any kind of real video, so someone had to go into a booth and, and they record. Thought, yeah, um, can, we get, can we get the honky-tonk piano off the shelf, the kind of thing that maybe would go on a Laurel and Hardy? Can we, can we have that? Because that's, that's, that's sexy, isn't it? Ah, so oh, Elaine Stritch, I'm so glad you could make it. Could you... Um... Oh, and Cagney and Lacey, come <laughs> It's very, very odd. Anyway, so she's been watching porn non-stop for five hours in her tight blue electric blue leggings and um and they have a row and it's nasty it's quite a nasty row it is clearly both of them have had a bit to drink but she barks at him not un- not without cause why are you so horrible to me ken and he says is it because i'm so terribly terribly <laughs> terribly working class <laughs> is it the coal on my fingers <laughs> and then he says if you don't like it get out and they have a full-on that's it this is and over. she says the saddest thing in the world she doesn't say no no she doesn't say what am I supposed to do? She says, where would I go? Yeah, she's got nowhere she, to go. She's got Ken's house <sighs> with his Broadway porn. <laughs> and that and that's it. So that, that vulnerability that I mentioned for Sally Farmelow oh, really, really comes into play here. It's, it's quite a bleak little scene. Also, have you noticed that um, Ken, and uh, I really think this is a good detail, Ken speaks less poshly to Dawn than yeah. he does to, to Jan. So with Jan, he's on best vocal behaviour, but... He, he, oh, he all goes a bit Bill Sykes. I mean, he doesn't go Bill Sykes, but... It's like my, my husband does that when um, people come around to fix things at the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, mate. Um... Yeah, yeah, suddenly it's like, oh, we're back in Essex, are we? Yeah, it's all right. No, no, fine. Somebody <laughs> said to me years ago, and it was enough to stop me in my tracks, uh, my friend Emma said to me, John, why do you always call cab drivers my friend? <laughs> Thank you very much, my friend. <laughs> oh, no. So that was knocked on the head. Oh, we're, I think we're all guilty of it a bit. <laughs> their, their scene ends even more nastily that he's basically told her to get out. He appears to be clearing the decks, thank you, yeah. of uh, Deadwood, Flotsam, Jetsam, whatever you call it. Brilliant. Um, because he is now, in business terms and perhaps romantically, setting his sights on Jan. And he says he'll pay her to go away, which is just so awful. And then rather than say... I don't want your money. She says how much because yeah. she, she really has got nothing. Uh, I think Dawn has self-esteem issues maybe <laughs> centred around her hair. <laughs> I saw that more as like her protection. Oh, yes. Her, 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 her armour. It's like a barrier between her and the world. Yeah. Poor old Dawn. <laughs> or either that or it's full of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn's breaking. <laughs> she, she really is. Oh, God, that's so sad. So in the meantime, Kate has decided to put Jack up for the night on a sofa bed. And they're talking. And pyjamas. Oh, that's right. And her dead husband's pyjamas, which yes, is which, sort of weird. Which brings, up a, she's brings up a conversation about being widowed. And he just says to this stranger, never liked my wife. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Wasn't no. a big fan of the wife. Yeah. It helps you to come to understand why the boatyard is so important to him. Because he married that poor dead woman because her father owned the boatyard and he wanted the yard. Therefore, what did he have? Access to wood. 
<laughs> which he All loves. All the wood you can eat. Too much. <laughs> He's, yeah, he loved it enough to marry someone he didn't even like that much. And so we briefly deal with the fact that they're talking across purposes about the same guy, basically. He's moaning about the new guy at work who's ruining things. And we can see the doof-doof coming at this point, can't we? We completely can. And then... It's a rather uncomfortable moment in the episode for me. It's sort of just what, like watching my mum and dad. I didn't want to see it. Jan comes into the bedroom from their This is so, bathroom. so bleak. <laughs> it's really Both this scene bleak. and the scene that follows it, which I think yeah. is what you meant about seeing mum and dad at it. Yeah. There's a lot of foreshadowing here. And there's a lot of there's a lot of Ibsen. <laughs> Ibsen? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, talk uh, to me about we're, that. We're at Ibsen Devils of Bleak in this shattered marriage. Jan comes out in... Very sexy lingerie to be... Um, it's a teddy. Would you describe yeah. it as a teddy? I, I suppose so. Seed? I mean, you'd, you'd know better than I would. Um, mm. Also, I said lingerie correctly because... Um, Is that how you say it? Because lots of people are saying lingerie now because Americans do. Not lingerie. No, lingerie. <laughs> Take it from uh, Eric Idle. Uh, this is a lingerie shop, sir. Oh, okay, um, fine. But anyway, <laughs> sidebar. No, it's important so, to so get this Jan, stuff right. Jan comes in in the in the sexy lingerie. She looks great. She looks Knocked fantastic. Out. Yeah. But this marriage is dead because it's awful, isn't his it? instant assumption is that this is something that Ken has given her that evening. And she jokes and says, oh, yes, he slipped it to me between the, the starter and the main course or something. So, yeah, so... He looks like he's ready to yell at her. So Tom's assumption is that his wife is not only adulterous, but also really thick. No idea. Then she points out that he gave it to her for her birthday. Yeah. So not only is Tom at this point so obsessed with the idea of his wife having an affair yeah. that... If he sees her wearing anything sexy, he assumes it's for another man who's not in the room. Mm-hmm. But he's also blinded to... Well, unless it's a Love Actually situation where he sent the secretary to buy a present. Well, see, but- I think it's this, because he used to have a high-ranking executive job at an aerospace company designing planes. And lingerie. And not lingerie. <laughs> so I, I can fully imagine it was definitely a secretary, go out and buy my wife something, something for her birthday. Yes, he probably doesn't know what he gave her. But then we cut to... The second part of this scene. Yes. And they're lying in bed. Oh, panting. Having clearly gone at it. <laughs> and they just openly talk about the Ken situation. Oh, she, she turns to him and says, I wasn't turned on because it, I'd seen Ken or yeah, something. Yes, like, it wasn't Ken that turned me on. It's like, wow, you went there. You went there. It was money and power. <laughs> yeah. Um, which doesn't help. But yeah, I mean, this... I, I can't imagine lying in bed with your spouse <laughs> immediately after sex and go... Uh, I wasn't thinking about someone else. <laughs> yes, that definitely means you I, were. I was not thinking about the other guy that you also thought bought me the sexy stuff yeah. who I've just had a business Mm-mm. sex meeting with. I mean, it's hard to convey subtext in that situation, but uh, it did seem a bit literal, didn't but it? But also so 80s. She wasn't turned on by Ken. She's turned on by oh, yeah. having a business and being entrepreneurial. Yeah, wearing a red seatbelt. Like, Damn well driving her in the metro. We take one final trip to Kate's house where she's talking to Jack just before they both go to sleep in their separate rooms. And she's, uh, she's talking to him about... What's she talking to him about when she talks about being an old bird who can place a strategic knee? I like that. Line. Oh, um, she's saying that if he had gone for... He's saying that That's like when right. she picked him up on the road, yes. he could have gone for her. And she said that she would have destroyed him because yeah. she's done self-defence yes. classes. And you believe her. You do believe her. Also yeah. in this scene, very charmingly, she points out where he can go for a wee and she doesn't call it the toilet or the loo or the lavatory. No. She says, um, and uh, the cloakroom's just here. And uh, just at that point, I, I wanted her to drop the gentility <laughs> completely. I wanted her to go, and if you need the shitter, it's just over there. <laughs> 
But um, sadly, sadly, that didn't happen. Dulcy Gray probably didn't know the word shitter. I do hope not. <laughs> she realises who he's been talking about. She's only been and gone and told him to be a dick to her own beloved son-in-law that she prefers to her daughter. I know, I know. So she's twigged. And then the final shot of the episode is Abby, rucksack over one shoulder, in the dark. It is actually dark by now. <laughs> like the midnight sun in town. It should be starting to get light. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe it is. She is, she's leaving home as the Beatles would have it, and there's a sad saxophone. You see, did you th- did you get sad from it? I thought I this did. is inappropriate sexy sax. Did but you really? Ma- maybe it's sexy She's sax. She's sexily leaving home, friends, like with a Maybe bag over it's sexy to uh, just remind us how she got into the situation well, I don't know that what you're I think about. she Does might be in the first <laughs> place. Uh, I, I wonder if I've been subtle enough. No, I don't, I don't think <laughs> I know. <laughs> John! <laughs> we can't jump ahead. We have to do episode by episode. So having watched an hour of this, what well, were your thoughts? I was initially worried when we started talking about it today that if your contention was that this is television excellence, I might have to tear up my notes, but... Um, <laughs> I'm saying nothing. It's, but I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I really good. did enjoy it much more than I expected to actually. Yeah. And in the first couple of minutes, when Jack and Avril were shouting, I thought this is going to be wearing. Yeah. But in terms of technical ability for a writer, I think you know there's five or six strands kept very much alive throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. No scene really outstays its welcome, except no. if, except if fucking Leo's on screen. <laughs> um, That's just a personal preference. We can't. Uh, we um, can't tell them and that. yeah, I was I was invested in these people by the end. Yeah, I did. I did care. I think that's been a theme throughout this podcast so far that people have come away going, "Oh yes, not the show I remembered at all." And um, I just think I have this real bugbear about when I write about TV for a living, and you know, most of the time, understandably, what we're asked to write about is the kind of big event dramas, box sets, the prestige. It's considered to be prestige television. And what I really admire in television is when someone can make a popular series that has both the quality and the broad appeal in one. I think Death in Paradise definitely does that yeah. now. I think I'm also, uh, there'll, be, there'll be a Lovejoy podcast at some point because I'm obsessed <laughs> with Lovejoy. Bergerac, there were lots of those dramas where the characters are all really well drawn. They knew how to structure an episode really well, how to convey everything without sort of hitting you over the head with it. Yes, and also... <laughs> Don't <mind>. say but. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad. You, you seem to have generally enjoyed it. I really did, thank you. Now, what I normally do at the end of each podcast is ask my guest to sing their own version of the theme tune. And what I brilliantly did was f- I forgot to tell you <laughs> to do that. But you very kindly agreed. John is a professional singer. Uh, he's oh. got an absolutely beautiful voice. He sang at my wedding. It was lovely. He stole my wedding, actually. Only People only talked about the singing after that. <laughs> but he is going to sing for us the Marty Webb lyrics, but over... The, um, the opening. Theme. I think this is something that should be brought back. So in, in 85, EastEnders started as well. Yeah. And so you had Anita Dobson singing Anyone Can Fall In Love That's to right, the EastEnders the theme. Yeah. Marty Webb sang Always, I mean, if Always There to the Howard's End theme. Can you imagine? Howard's if, End? Howard's People way, keep I, doing oh, that all I've the time. through the whole episode. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if you did that now, it's like out now. Valley of Love. Sarah <laughs> Lancashire sings the haunting theme tune to Happy Valley. <laughs> and at number three, we've got. Saran Jones with Weird Sex on Worktops, theme from <laughs> Dr. Foster. I mean, it would be amazing. It would be really cool. It'd be something to look forward to. But also, um, Marty Webb was a big musical theatre star. And 1985 was also the debut of Les Mis. That's when it oh, opened was it? in the West End. Yeah. So rather than, you know, rather than sing it properly, because if I did that, it would just be beautiful and no fun. <laughs> and um, there'd be a single tear on the face of every listener. <laughs> but I thought I might favour you with a, a sort of very musical theatre, very Les Mis version. OK, I'd love that. Do you want me to hold up a big flag behind you while you're 
Wave it about. So I'll stand with my feet at 10 to 2, uh, doing the thousand yard stare Good. with my chin slightly elevated. Yeah, you have been a revolutionary in several things I've seen you in, actually. I've, you? I've waved flags in my time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're very good at it. Well, all that remains for me to say is I hope you've enjoyed the, the podcast. If you would like to, come and find us on Twitter. We're at Always There Pod. And John Brighton Taylor, <laughs> thank you for being always there. Thank you so much for having me. He'll come around. <laughs> always there. Your love is always there. No scene could ever divide the love we share is always there near as the morning air as sure as winds keep blowing love will be Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.